Yeah, they are. Hello, Dr. E. How are you, sir? Hi, Dr. Heide. I'm good. Thank you for welcoming, welcoming me on your, on your podcast. I'm excited to spend some time with you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I mean, I've heard many kind of nicknames uh, about you. Um, so we've got Dr. E, <laughs> right? What's this with Dr. E? You know, it sounds very snazzy and, and cool. I mean, you're a cool guy uh, anyway. I mean, you, you just need to look at you and you look cool, you know? Uh, Dr. E, yeah. I mean, my, my surname starts with E, so it's Inayat. And uh, just making it easier for my patients, just like Dr. E. I, I, I like Dr. Dre. Where I grew up, I liked his 2001 album, and uh, I think that's, I drew some inspiration from there. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just just make it easier for patients, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, my name's Al Hakim. I I, I kind of chop the L out and say my name's uh, Doctor Hakim. But I might just take a bit of your dry advice and, and call myself Doctor H. I like it. It's got a nice <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> Why not, Doctor H? Yes, and then you know, if they want me to elaborate, then I can elaborate. You could be Doctor H two, H two, and then and, and then in the end, they say, "Oh, H two O." That could H2. be your brand, a new brand. Yeah, H two O. Well, I mean, I used to be called the Third Eye Doctor. Why used to? I, I dropped it. it. No, no. I dropped it. Why did it. you drop it? I don't know. I don't know. I think I've gone gone back to my surname. I quite like my surname. Um, <clears throat> it's a beautiful surname. Beautiful name. I mean, I was seeing, uh, I was, I was seeing a uh, analyst at the time, and I was sort of going down into my uh, sort of dreams and sort of all these fantasies and sort of psychic entities, and I thought, yeah, let's go back to to my roots, so to speak. So I started delving into, you know, Al Hakim, and it, and it just felt right to sort of drop the alias, mm. and go with the, uh, you know, the the history, my history. Um, I like that. I like it. The third eye doctor. It's uh, and obviously your name as well. Uh, maybe you're getting into your root chakra. Yeah, mate. Root. My 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 root chakra is is uh, pretty uh, pretty long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a long chakra. Um, what got you started in this? I mean, you know, it's not very like you know GP land Conventional kind of space. Medicine, yeah. um, I think, uh, I think, uh, actually, I think my eyes open to um, applying science in treating or preventing or optimizing um, our biology when I uh, did my BSc in stem cells. Um, I did, um, uh, I did an integrated BSc at that time. Um, and my thesis was all around the stem cell industry, this is 2007. And then I just, you know, read, met, and, you know. Why are we not talking about delivering care in this way? Then thereafter, you know, finished finished my training as a GP, and during that time, I did a fellowship in clinical leadership, and that gave me afforded me some time to look at how to drive innovations into the health system sooner. I think those experiences, and I looked at telemedicine in particular. I also did a project with um, patients in self management, um, helping develop expert patients to teach other patients how to manage their conditions. Um, which we just fell outside of what we would learn in textbooks. Um, and um, and it helped me question the way we deliver medicine um, in the kind of algorithms and patterns of care, starting from symptoms to testing to, to management um, routines. And, uh, and allowed me to just, you know, go investigate the world and just see what's happening, what's, what's happening in the US, what's happening in Germany and Austria, Japan, I looked at as well in terms of interesting models and ways of approaching health um, and started to practice them with patients, you know, be mentored by some of these experts globally and uh, apply them to patients, you know, private patients that I was, uh, look, we were, I was looking after. 
and then just getting results and you're like wow like this is phenomenal you know this is really really interesting and then just doubled down my efforts to try and build a model of care um around um uh, around these innovative practices which ultimately just apply science um less around disease state but more around the processes that produce health at any given moment and uh and um i think i remember before covid it was like pushing water uphill you know talking to people about being healthier um they said no i'm healthy what do you mean you know um but since covid it's been a you know, an eye, an eye opener for uh, for everyone really, just to help people understand that um, the traditional healthcare system may not have the answers to being healthy. You know, definitely for kind of managing sickness and managing uh, disease oriented symptoms based around organ uh, structure, um, it has many of the answers. Um, however, for preventing disease, remaining healthy or becoming healthier. Um, um, I think the traditional health system hasn't trained doctors and health practitioners in that model of care. And so we, we, launched, we launched Human, I rebranded and decided to launch a new brand called Human instead of the A, it's got the number two. Uh, because I wanted to create a brand that helps people quickly understand um, what we're doing um, and to to be more accessible to the younger generation who ultimately will be the future, you know, the, the, next, uh, the, the next set of patients who will need to engage with health. And it's been really good, you know, it's been really good. You know, we've got um, now, I'm blessed to have in our team, we've got you know, three other physicians in the team, one a psychiatrist, one a GP, one sports exercise medicine, um, and then alongside us, we have um, nutritional therapists of different levels of experience, as well as kind of now we're, we're introducing physiotherapy, strength and conditioning, breath coaches. Um, and so it's been really, really nice. You know, when patients come into the model, they often they, they experience their health differently. And then they start to ask you about, hey, do you have any ideas about ABC? And you become, you know, um, almost like you would as a GP, you'd get, you know, you get asked about other symptoms that you'd refer on. However, you know, it's really cool that we built, we're building a community of patients that then trust us, having experienced health differently, to then want to, you know, that want to kind of continue working in this proactive way. Um, and and in, in, in terms of the training that you did in, in GP, was there anything there that, that, that really caught your eye and that you were really impressed with and thought to yourself, this is something I can hold on to going forward. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, everything we do is rooted in the, in rooted in that clinical experience of training that we had, you know, we, um, and I don't think you can really treat, treat or prevent, you know, be in the realm of delivering healthcare. If you haven't worked in a tr- traditional healthcare system and you haven't seen the and so um everything we do is rooted in traditional medicine but then we also bring inside um kind of more preventative personalized medicine looking at different sets of data points um alongside traditional medical testing and do you think we're getting sicker and you know if we are where would you point your um, you know, superhuman abilities uh, at, you know, what is the main reason why, you know, if we are getting sicker or not? Um, I think, I think as, I think we're definitely, I think we're definitely getting more inflamed. Um, we're see, you know, inflammation is the new currency of healthcare, in my opinion. Um, we look back at the 90s and it was all about lipidology and reducing heart attacks and strokes. Um, and then 2000s became about metabolism, diabetes, blood sugar control, glycemic control. I think now with COVID, we're in the realm of inflammation and um, we're seeing the rise of autoimmune conditions, particularly in urban societies. Um, and for the first time, a decrease in life expectancy. 
um, in the developed world. And, and we have to kind of try and understand that. You know, why, why are we seeing more inflammation? And, and it's, it's a really interesting um, topic. Um, and we, you know, we, we think that we are seeing more inflammation. What is inflammation as a starting point? It's a hyper, you know, it's, it's your immune system hyperactive. It's part of your immune response, and um, it's an overactivated immune response. And what is our immune response, their immune system, therefore, is to protect us from things that we find foreign. Um, so viruses, bacteria, pathogens, fungi, parasites, heavy metals, um, and we're seeing more of more exposure to that. That's the one element, and then the second element of is that how do we, what contributes to a healthy immune system? What are the conditions that make an immune system healthy? Um, and it comes from your nutrition, the health of your digestive tract, um, how you manage stress and stress response. So important, you know, we, because that directly impacts your levels of cortisol. Then that keeps your blood sugar up. We know that insulin will then go up and you start, can start to de develop insulin resistance. And insulin is one of the most pro-inflammatory molecules in our body. Um, and so we can so we can start to see how things are related. And if we think about our environment, how that's changed, it's become remarkably more stressful. We're stimulated so much more by our environment, WhatsApp, email, we're constantly in contact. Um, and each time that pings us, you know, that wakes us up um, biologically, our adrenal glands produce more cortisol as a response. And we've seen that a lot. You know, we see that pretty much with every patient we work with some level of hypothalamic pituitary adrenal dysfunction. And that correlates to your thyroid, eventually thyroid dysfunction as well. So, you know, especially in urban environments, um, I think that's, that's not really spoken about enough, managing our stress response and looking at our environment to, to allow our body to go into a resting healing state, parasympathetic state to allow us to get deep sleep, you know, and we look, start to look at sleep as well and say, when is it that our T cells, for example, are produced? They're produced in deep sleep, not in our light or REM sleep. When is our stem cells produced from our bone marrow? It's in deep sleep. And so we know that if we're not getting into deep sleep, we're not self-healing, self-restoring, self-balancing as we're designed to. Um, and so there are a bunch of things that we can do to help us regulate our a healthier immune response. And, um, and also now there's testing that can identify where you're at with the other elements of your immune response, not just your breakdown of your white cells and are you, do you have high eosinophils or basophils or monocytes, but you know, let's go a bit deeper and look at your, the other conditions that indirectly relate to a healthy or an unhealthy uh, immune system. Um, and it was, you know, this type of medicine, you know, is, has different names called functional medicine in the US or integrated medicine um, elsewhere. Um, but um, and when immune conditions like autoimmune thyroid, thyroiditis and eczema and just seeing how how much they responded, their antibodies decreased, you know, the anti-TPO antibodies started to decrease, the eczema patient in his mid-30s. And I remember it very well because he's got the same first and middle name as me, Mohammed Shazad. And uh, he was, you know, he's, he was mid-30s at, at the time. He had a couple of children. And within a few months, you know, his eczema was remarkably better. And he'd been to all of the dermatologists. You know, he'd been in and out of the traditional health system for years. And eczema can be really debilitating, chronic eczema, because you know, your skin is just on fire, you're ripping your skin off, it gets then infected, and you're in this circle of antibiotic steroids, antibiotic steroids. And to see him get remarkably better, you know, it was, was, you know, it was amazing. It's the kind of thing, as a GP, um, you, 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 you work for, right? That's, you know, and, uh, and, and it's not complicated. It really isn't that complicated. It's just about looking at the human body in a slightly different way. You know, looking at you know, where are the sources of inflammatory, where are we, you know, where could we be driving um, an inflammatory response? And 
one of the most externally facing membranes that we have that is that's only one cell thick is our GI tract, starting at our mouth all the way down. That's actually an externally facing membrane. It's they're designed to take nutrients out. But that, if that starts to become more porous or not functioning um, uh, optimally, then whole foods can start going things. Things that you know, your defense mechanisms, your, your microbiome, your you know that's one of your first lines of defense, which is your you know, population of bacteria in your digestive tract. If they become imbalanced, then our defense mechanisms allow things in. If whole foods aren't digested properly enough, they break into our bloodstream and they drive antibodies. Those antibodies, one of the big theories in this type of medicine of autoimmunity is that whole foods without being broken down start to drive um, a sensitivity reaction. IgG antibodies are produced and those antibodies float around your bloodstream, can aggregate in certain organs and then cause, for example, Hashimoto's thyroiditis or eczema in the skin or rheumatoid arthritis in the joints. And... um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that can be treated or supported fairly straightforward if you're just looking in the right places with the right tests and have the right tools to support that. Can you give uh, us examples of how, you know, these things can be treated? Because uh, you make it sound, you know, quite, quite nice and simple. Yeah, I mean, it's so let, let's talk about, for example, you've got um, leaky gut. Um, and you're driving antibodies, you're creating antibodies to gluten, right? Um, or dairy. And um, so you, you, you can, you might have some mild symptoms, maybe not, you might have some bloating, digestive issues that we just day to day think are normal. Um, but, and you would treat that by excluding those from your, or first, you know, you can empirically treat without testing. You can try uh, doing an elimination diet, it's very difficult to do. Um, just because you eliminate so many foods, but you can do that. That's an approach that is uh, that works, but it just means that you have to be very strict. Or you can do an actual uh, blood test, identify that you're, you're driving antibodies um, in your blood, then remove those, those particular foods, use some targeted supplementation, things like L-glutamine on an empty stomach, uh, digestive enzymes, pre-meals to help break down the foods and make absorption easier. Um, and, a, and a probiotic if your gut flora is um, to restore a healthy gut flora. Um, you won't need to use that forever. You know, we do a six-week uh, program of gut healing, utilizing that, um, and then supported by a nutrition strategy, which is usually dairy and bread-free for four to six weeks. Um, and people will notice a massive improvement just from that. Um, now the starting point dictates the end, ending point, right? So if someone's had you know, got really high antibodies, you might need to be doing that for a bit longer, be a bit stricter. So those, um, so that's that's something that can be done from um, very, fairly straightforward. Um, um, other kind of interest, uh, so other interesting therapies that we, we also, you know, we also do therapies like um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, high pressure oxygen therapy. Very interesting. The uh, nutrients, um, um, IV laser therapy, and um, and we introduced some called NAD plus therapy as well, and getting really really nice results. And um, n- none of this is foreign to the human body. Oxygen is not foreign. You know, giving you vitamins, minerals, amino acids—that's not foreign. But it's just being provided to you in a bioavailable. Form. And the therapies, the way I see those therapies, they're supportive, they're adjunctive to the mainstay, which is you becoming more conscious of your body um, and putting the right things in and conditioning your environment um, um, to, to help you change you know, ultimately how you feel. Where, where, yeah. where does the mind come into this or you know, the psychology of, of health or preventing disease? Um, I mean, I mean that's a, really, a big question, a really good, obviously. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question, and it it we get different types of kind of mindsets to health. You know, people come to us for different reasons. One mindset is that they're fatigued from the traditional health system, and where they're not getting the answers, they're not getting better. 
Um, and then you get others that are another mindset is we see our health as a as an asset. It's absolutely critical to our performance in work or in their career. So athletes or high performers. Um, and that's the two that we're seeing right now. Um, and the everyone else is we we try and help them understand that you can look at health differently, but providing a cool space, like you see the picture in the background, that's our clinic, um, and cool experience, experiencing a change of state to meeting them where they're at, you know. So everyone else might, you know, if you don't have a disease and you're not looking to use your body for optimal performance. Um, and then everyone else fits into that, which I think is the majority of the population. You know, then it's about educating them around like how you can change your state, you know, allowing them to appreciate they can, you know, if they want better cognition or if they want to sleep better, just giving them the experiences. And once you experience a change of state, then you're like, wow, I didn't realize I could better just from doing ABC. You know, and then it opens your opens your eyes. Um, but the mind is sorry. I was I was going to say it looks like you got a black hole there be behind you. So they go into a black hole of of optimum health and human two point zero experience. Yeah, and they come out of that. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, coming out of uh, of a black hole a is black hole. pretty much impossible, apparently theoretically. Yeah, not in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like in Chelsea now? You know, uh, I've, I haven't been there for ages. Um, it's it was a ghost town for for most of COVID. You know, it's it's been a ghost town. A lot of you know, there's a lot of people that live in Chelsea. They also have a second residence outside of Chelsea, maybe in the country or out in other countries. And so it was remarkably quiet for a good eighteen months, um, and uh, and. Um, and now it's now it's it's getting it's picking back up. People are moving back in. You know the, the kids' schools are open again, and and so people are back in town. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's a, it's allowed me and afforded us to kind of innovate. You know to 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 recruit clients that ultimately can pay for these services, and over the last kind of five to seven years has allowed me to then create systems internally to drive down the prices and to democratize this more and more. Um, uh, because it, any innovation initially is expensive, right? And so, you know, it's it's a blessing to be there in many ways. Um, and we're using, we've been, you know, we're committed to trying to democratize that through in-house education programs for our practitioners so that you know it's not just doctor the doctor e clinic and we're just seeing you know limited to the number of patients i can see you know we have a team now that can deliver this and that allows us to drive drive the prices down really um and recruit and and there is demand you know in just every other you and that's like uh, it just gives me more impetus to try and like you know get this messaging out there and, and help people understand about this black hole for them you know they, this blind spot ultimately this unknown unknown that they can take control of their health you know um and and uh, the the mind thing is really really fascinating to me and we've got a psychiatrist in the team for that reason you know practicing integrated psychiatry and the biology and the mind is is really connected um However, I find that once, you know, as people go through this and they see data points coming from their health wearable, they're understanding the internal stress response, they're learning tools to help them prevent the sequelae of anxiety by intervening earlier through things like power of breath or sleep or recovery. Obviously, that doesn't help. Everyone depends how progressed someone is with their symptomatology. Um, but it definitely, um, definitely allows people to kind of just get out of that stress response into some more clarity for them. Um, we have, we have a, you know, we have a, um, 
clinical hypnotherapist who helps some patients with emotional freedom techniques from time to time. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I'm with the rise of mental health, um, and I only, only see that rising, you know, and I'm sure you have seen it rise a lot as well. Um, I feel like we need to be helping people from the biological perspective alongside the mind as well together in an integrated way yeah 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 uh, you know there's no you know there's no separation whatsoever and i think all healthcare professionals that deliver healthcare needs to have a good understanding of the mental processes the psychological processes and the importance of um how much of an effect it has on our biology as you said now you know the black hole can be you know quite a scary place i mean i've been through that black hole once and you know it was quite an experience what's your kind of most most enjoyable uh device after going through that black hole that that you think Uh, everyone has to try i think um i i think as the experience of everyone having to try it once that's going to give you a real quick change of state is the cryotherapy Within three minutes, you know, you're going to feel so different coming out of that. Um, and uh, so there's the, I think the whole body cryotherapy is my favorite. It goes, we have the coldest one in the world. It goes down to minus 140 Celsius. You're in there for three minutes. You start at about, you know, everyone starts slightly different, maybe 100, minus 100. But there's, a, there's an element of fear that you need to overcome. You need to, you'll get to learn your, you get to learn your physiological reflexes and be able to learn how to master them through just being present in the moment and knowing and having faith that your body can withstand this. Um, and, uh, and then you've got the, all the physiological effects, the uh, release of endorphins, the metabolic shift, you know, you lose you, you, through the need to create heat to bring your skin temperature back up. You lose, you use five to 700 calories you have a hormonal shift, you produce kind of growth hormone and testosterone. People just leave feeling happier, lighter. You, you have this muscular skeletal benefit where you just feel you know, looser. Um, and so it, that's a really nice change of state um, experience um, there. And, and then my, I think my, my, my absolute favorite is the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And I, and I would love to see that more prevalent in in throughout and more accessible for everyone um i feel like it's i mean the science is there the evidence is there and the massively growing evidence base in um state optimization and prevention um not just uh, some not just disease management um and i feel like it should just be a lot more accessible um where do you think the barriers are in, in, in making this mainstream and sort of, you know, um, you know, making it more open to the uh, to the wider population? Um, it comes down to how we design and deliver care. Um, optional innovation model. So the evidence-based model. Um, so if we're talking about, let's start with the evidence-based model. So the evidence-based model in, in medicine is based around disease. Um, we uptake innovations that are, you know, that have strong, rigorous evidence according to a, a framework of how we look at evidence. Um, so if we're looking in the wrong way, we're not going to be, um, we're not going to be able to uh, appreciate the impact of working in this way. So what do, what do I mean by that? We have randomized, randomized controlled trials. We do, you know, double-blind placebo. That works really well for disease state and pathology. I mean, you have a condition, I get drug A, you get drug B, I get better. We roll, you know, we try that at a bigger scale. Whereas me and you don't have a condition, especially in the way we classify symptoms. So that's another starting point that we need to look at is having a new or an earlier stage of symptoms that we actually classify according to patterns of imbalances 
rather than organ pathology right, or states of disease. So an example of that is um, symptoms of adrenal dysfunction as just something that comes to my mind. So you, 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 you take a long time to wake up in the morning and you stay awake late at night. That's a sign that your cortisol is not coming down in the evening as it should. It's, simple, it's, a, it's a sign of that. Now, we're not taught about that as a symptom to look for in traditional medicine. So if we're now looking for that, we reclassify that as a, you know, as an example. There's a whole bunch of symptoms we look at um, and reclassify them according to patterns or imbalances. Then we can start to look at potential therapeutics that will treat that. So starting at the definition of health, I think, you know, health is not just an absence of disease. And that's when it's treated as an absence of disease, we're looking to drive healthcare forward through treating disease according to the classification of symptoms that fall under disease. If we start to redefine health as a state of vitality, an optimal state of performance, which I would say is in our late twenties or early thirties from a cellular regenerative perspective anyway, obviously there's learned acumen that we get over time and knowledge and wisdom. So aside from that, talking about physical performance, um, um, then, you know, we can then start to look at the processes that produce that state and then imbalances that can go off sooner. Um, and then attach data points to those uh, processes, right? And then signs and symptoms and then therapeutics. And that's how we should be looking at evidence base. And it's more challenging because it's not as linear as disease, but disease in terms of you have a disease and you stop having those disease, it's more, it's, it's more multifactorial, it's more interconnected, it's looking at you know, how your hormones are connected to your digestive tract, to your spit of epigenetics and et cetera, et cetera, micronutrient status, as well as your environment, which is how you eat, move, sleep, stress. Um, so, but with the, with, the, with the evolution of technology, I think we're at a point where you know, we can use um, we can look at more data points and we can reverse engineer data through AI to really test those hypotheses and then to tell us um, if those hypotheses are correct um, and thereafter help speed up the adoption of innovations into preventative and personalized health. Um, and in, in, in terms of a time frame, because it, you know, it sounds complicated because when we did medicine it was i mean it was reductionist and also compartmentalized into systems and yet it was complicated just using those systems um particularly ne neurological systems i mean i found that the most difficult topic to kind of um grasp um yeah I'm an ophthalmologist and, now, which is, you know, a bit of an oxymoron because people consider ophthalmology a bit complicated. Um, but I guess when you have to, you have to, you know, uh, you know, as in if you have to learn the complexities, you have to learn the complexities. So you think the computation power that we have through AI is enough for us to bring all these different data sets together and allow us to optimize our health? Um, uh, through these sort of different systems that come together. I mean, I find that sort of disease is sort of right, much yeah, more I mean, easier to, 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 to put into abstract. I don't I think, know. I think, yeah. I think that's just because we're, we're, we're taught and, you know, we spent yeah. many years learning that, right. Like it didn't happen yeah. overnight. You know, that's, that, that happened over a long period starting in school, really, yeah. you know, biology and stuff and A levels and chemistry, but then really going, deep into it in medical school. Um, look, it's not, you know, I, I don't have all the answers. Um, however, having practiced this type of medicine now for about six, seven years, I can assure you it's not complicated. Mm. It's, um, it's, just, it's just looking at different sets of symptoms and different sets of patterns mm. in your testing um, and then applying different sets of therapies or interventions um and um and i think you know i think i see it best sitting within probably within general medicine or um 
or primary care as a subspecialty really um called you know personalized medicine i think that's probably the best way to to put it um and it's very trainable you know we're training other doctors to deliver it and other healthcare practitioners as a team to deliver it um and you know we're not the only ones there are other you know other models of this type of care in the us particularly um that are kind of integrating this personalized medicine with health coaching or nutrition um, and or nutrition um, with getting getting great results as well. So it's so I think there's an op- so there's an opportunity to kind of collect all of those data points from similar sorts of institutes and clinics um, and centers and physicians um, and uh, start to use machine learning to produce evidence. Um, uh, that can overcome our, our inherent bias in the way we're we're looking at health, because otherwise we're otherwise we're looking at it uh, looking at it from a retrospective analysis of a wide population. That's where we fall into public health, and that's why you know public health will come out and say, "Oh, smoking's bad," and eat five fruits a day, and it's very kind of. Very, very bland it's not personalized it's not specific to a person in front of them you know um so if if we leave if we leave it to that approach we're just never going to make um headway um into this and and do you think the um uh in, in terms of coming into the education system you know the medical education system you know what's your experience of that is it sort of um, are they are they accommodating or or are there lots of barriers sort of in front of you or or are there other com- competitive entities that sort of don't allow you to to, to be honest into not, their space to be honest i've not i've not i've not been i haven't had the i haven't had the time you know i haven't had the time you know we're 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 we're, we're, we're trying to establish um, this type of model of care and the systems to deliver this to train internally, um, and we, we, you know, we're a self-funded company. We've grown to our capacity, and we we have to balance the ability to recruit patients versus the ability to deliver services. We don't have spare, you know, resource or capacity to apply a PhD or someone to work on this project or get a grant. You know, we just don't have that yet, um, and. However, having said that, there is appetite. You know, on our advisory on our advisory board, we have professors within the traditional health system um, that can see the applicability of this, and it's just about being able to engineer for us um, for our business, engineer this, engineer the uh, the routes to be able to get this in front of the right people who are then vested to be able to support driving this into the health system. And the biggest barrier is going to be data and evidence, right? I think that's why our, our focus is all our patients go through a consent process to allow us to anonymously use this for scientific purposes. Um, and then we, we have a data lake. So we, we have a, a lake of data that we will be then hopefully um, passing on to universities. Once we've got that, then you know we've got a large enough data set of patients to say that actually eighty or ninety percent felt better across A, B, C, D, E parameters. These test markers improved. Then we can we have some something strong to go back to the artists and hey, listen, this is what we've been doing, and this is how we've done it. You know, let's um, help us kind of learn learn more from it and. Um, influence the delivery and educational model in the future. And that's yeah. my current thoughts. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Uh, but that's where our intention is at, and uh, that's why within our mission statement, you know, where our mission statement is uh, helping pioneer a new era of healthcare for the benefit of humanity. It's not about providing, and that's that's it. And uh, so for us, it's not about providing luxury care to luxury people that can only afford these innovations. It's about it's about innovating, having innovated with them, then driving those down through models of care and systems, as we as I've mentioned, to help democratize this 
not just internally with us, but then through um, the evidence-based approach. And so, I, I mean, I'm going to push you a bit further. I mean, sort of five years down the line, where do you see, yeah. you know, this uh, personalized medical care or personalized um, health uh, information and, and, and processes or lifestyle medicine or, or, you know, biohacking or sort of vitality driven mm. services? Where do you see yourself and sort of this whole industry? Um, in the next sort of in, in a five years time where do we see us in the industry I, you know I, I don't think there's many physician-led led businesses or services delivering this type of uh, care um, in the UK particularly um, and I know that there is a um, the, it's not easy to set up um, to recruit clients into it and it's not easy to become I mean you can't just do a course and then deliver this you know it's not you need learned expertise over time and so um, I see us being able to support the development of other practitioners that want to deliver this type of uh, care um, and um, we want to be supporting to drive this type of healthcare out there. And we've, we've spent all that time and effort building the systems in-house, building out the kind of uh, understanding of what tests to do, how to interpret them, what patterns to look for, what supplements to use, what therapies to use. Um, and we hope to be continuing uh, to drive in innovations and test them, as well as help the support and provide an environment where other practitioners can practice this type of medicine while we, as a business, recruit more patients into this model of care um so i don't know i don't know that's our intention um but you know life gets in the way so we see what happens yeah yeah and and you know is there a thirst for this in here in the uk um you yeah, know given so. that the uk is a uh, uh you know an attractor of of uh, many industries and many individuals and you know many different markets I think there is, I think there's a growing thirst. There's yeah. a, a really growing thirst. I think, I think, I think our expectations on um, our expectations on the NHS um, are too much. As a, and we, I think we we understand that now as a society, and we understand that the NHS isn't necessarily, you know, we I remember when I was doing my uh, junior house officer years the waiting times were down to four hours in the E, you know, and that was a big thing. You know, we got the, they were trying to drive it down, they managed to do it. And now they're, you know, 10, 12, they've removed that time, you know, and it's it's reflective on supply and demand. You know, the way we, demand's increased, but also, you know, the the there has been um the working environment for has been uh, has been tougher for healthcare practitioners and that's from government um in yeah it's uh, from the commissioners the nhs you know from a, the political ultimately the government who who pay for it you know um and so and so it's been and you, I, I would, i'd like to ask you you know how has it been for you over the last five ten five very very difficult yeah mm-hmm. you know as you said yeah. um then it, yeah, I mean, as you said, sort of NHS-wise, the the demands are exceptionally high, and the expectations are still high. You know, it's not as if their expectations have gone down, or you know, you've you've managed to lower your standards. Um, and also, doctors are coming under increased scrutiny from 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 everyone, whether it's regulators, whether it's commissioners. Uh, whether it's patient pressure groups. So, you know, there is this constant pressure to deliver high quality care with minimal resources and uh, minimal funding. Um, and, and, you know, that's why we're all cracking by the seams and, uh, you know, the water's leaking in very quickly. Um, and people are, people are moving elsewhere. You know, people are it's, it's moving really into sad, the... Isn't it? Yeah, well, you know, this is this is this is the times. You know, this is yeah. the current times, and um, 
Um, yeah, so we're definitely going to have a fragmented healthcare service, definitely. Um, and then there's going to be good practices and bad practices. And there's going to be um, um, systems that work and systems that don't work. Um, so that's going to be tricky about what's going to happen to the general population. But I think showing an alternative um, vision of health, I think, is a great alternative. And, you know, if that can be driven into a, a wider population, um, I think, you know, that's going to give a lot of benefit to all. Um, yeah, and I, mean, I just, I, I remember, sorry. I remember no, I mean, I was, I was no, no, you, uh, you know, you carry on. Um, I, I was just going to remember your thoughts because I, I, um, I would love to hear it. Um, sorry for interrupting. Um, I, I just remember the Madazi Fellowship, and that's kind of a fellowship in leadership and management and working with an academic health science network, UCL partners at the time, and driving an innovation in simple innovation in, and and it was would have would have meant better access for adolescent diabetics into that hospital that we uh, worked with just by introducing telemedicine consultations now, which are very normal. However, the consultants and the staff there were reticent because that time was being need was needed to work on other stuff that the kind of uh, non-attendance time. It's just a simple thing. And I think that, you know, in a health system, where we're not giving enough power, the power is the wrong word, but um, not giving enough freedom to people that, you know, the physicians and the healthcare practitioners on the ground, seeing the patients to design the service around their patients. You know, we're, you know, we're, 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 we're just not able to bring innovations in. You know, we don't give them freedom to go and try, test how we want to try things out. Um, and, in, it's a shame. It's it, it's a it's a it's a shame because, you know, um, we're all remarkably intelligent people as physicians and healthcare practitioners, and our hearts are in the right place. And that's why we often become caregivers, um, and to not allow us to kind of uh, trial and adopt innovations or deliver care in the best way that we think is possible for our patients. And to, is 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 harming the health system big time, and harming ultimately counterintuitive to long term care of our patients who then get more problems coming up. You know, and and this was show you know this has been shown to me multiple times, but even during COVID, um, when COVID came out, and you know speaking to you know, I reached out to the CEO of Chelsea West, the local hospital, and I was like, look, you know, let's get some of this with things like hyperbaric IVs and we have to do it for free. This was right at the beginning of the crisis. And, um, and initially they were interested and then he went to their board and they were like, you know, just went quiet. And uh, none of this is like, this is, this is just core science, you know, like, and if when doctors understand that and do, doctors do understand that like, there's no risks, it's very safe. Why not give it a go? And it was just one of the examples. And the other example COVID really showed me was um, from the community um, and uh, people in the community would reach out to me when their members were sick in hospital. And um, and it was just, and I'd be you know, on their behalf speaking to physicians in, in different hospitals and and how the, how we were hiding behind this evidence space approach at a time of COVID when there was no evidence around what was the best practice early on. And we just didn't rely on, you know, we didn't feel confident prescribing oxygen soon enough or, you know, giving antibiotics or giving steroids to calm an inflammatory response down, you know, just, and speaking to GPs, like, you know, why are we devolving the responsibility to call centers to decide if someone's sick enough to go into hospital? You know, the GP and GPs weren't confident to try things like hydroxychloroquine, low dose, not the high dose that had complicated, low dose, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, early in the stage, just from a basic understanding of how they support a healthy immune system. And it was just, it just really alarmed me that we're, we're conditioning and grooming who, who are we training as physicians that 
truly feel confident to look after that whole patient. You know, where GPs are being trained to be triage, you know, to triage into ongoing, uh, ongoing specialties, but excellent in managing some chron chronic conditions like, you know, high blood pressure and diabetes and, and stuff like that. I'm not, but we're conditioning, we create the kind of the restrictions on our physicians to think about their whole, the whole patient in front of them, to give them confidence to, to, to try things out with them. And that's sad, you know, because that's a huge loss of talent, effectively, you know, a huge loss of intellect. Um, um, because, you know, we're, we're, we're all remarkably uh, in intelligent. We've, you know, we work towards building the, the skills to, to apply science. And it's a shame that we're not given the freedom to try that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, one of the big mistakes I, I think is introducing Quangos like NICE and sort of all these other big, big organizations that, um, you know, to be honest with you, don't have much science behind what they talk about um, because it's, it's, it's driven politically and, and financially by bigger forces. Um, it's a set, you know, it's a <laughs> we don't know, right? But, you know, it's a, it's it's something that I mean you know you you know you've got a you have a feeling about I mean you've you got a, a patient I mean for example you've got a patient and they got high pressures in the eye and do you know in yourself that they're not going to get glaucoma from your experience yet nice says you've got to treat them with a b c and d and then you sit there and you got to think to yourself right do I do what my gut feeling tells me which is actually An they're experience. okay and my An experience, experience. Yeah. And they're okay, or do I follow the nice guidelines? Don't get uh, uh, you know um, uh, summoned in front of the GMC for not following the the GMC guidelines because you know the the patient is is a bit more clued up and you know I don't know. So you know that's you know that's the kind of um, pressure that a lot of healthcare professionals are under. Um, and by the looks of it, you know, previously the GMC did say that they're not, you know, going to put doctors in 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 trouble or in jeopardy for, you know, because of the COVID situation. But it doesn't look like it. <laughs> it looks yeah. like it's business as usual, you know, you know, if they feel um, that you've been lacking in any way, whether it's COVID or not or not COVID, uh, they'll go after you. Um, so... We become like you know the other element is that we become fiercely protective within our specialties. You know, we we become fiercely because we're always conscious that okay, if this is passed on to another specialty or GPs are managing this, we're going to lose our income. Or and the in we just don't, we don't integrate well as teams, you know, as care teams. And I think part of that is because we have such a rigid. And it's an unnecessary, you know, training program. You know, a lot of it's necessary because experience is really important. However, that's something we need to start kind of thinking about. Is like how do we build more flexibility into into that kind of model? I don't know. What, that's just some. Where 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 did your interest in engineering come? Because because you use a lot of engineering terminology and and uh, ideas. I think I think I just. Learned, uh, I think it's from Meccano. I used to play with a lot of Meccano sets when I was younger. <laughs> yeah, I used to have a lot of Meccano sets. So um, I think it's from there and just, um, and and I used to love cars and still, you know, kind of, and and just the, just the, the concept of, en you know, engineering from looking at processes to produce A, B, C as an output. Um yeah, I mean, we like to give answers to it to our patients, and that's what engineers do. They they build things in order to give solutions and answers to the to the problem at hand. And we got doctors are kind of engineers, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are engineers. <laughs> you know, we are engineers really because uh, you know we don't we don't talk about the meaning of things and you know the underlying reasons why things happen. You know, we just like to solve problems. I guess. And, you know, 
what's this about Harry Potter? I mean, are you a Harry Potter fan? Because everyone talks about you being the Harry Potter of medicine. You know, I've never that? heard that. I've never ever heard that. Is that something you just made up? No, no. I mean, you are you are interviewed by another surgeon, and he's talking about Harry Potter all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've not heard that before. Um, where's my glasses? I've got some brown glasses inspired by Harry Potter. Okay. Um, possibly, possibly why they're not adding Harry Potter. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I feel like the GMC are going to be coming knocking soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you've got lots of concoctions behind you. So, you know, that's one thing. That's true. That's true. We have lots of potions. And, you know, what, we, what we're careful to do is not make claims around diseases. You know, we're not here saying that we can reverse ABC and treat ABC diseases. We're very clear that we're, we're in the realm of um, fringe symptoms, health and wellness. Um, and, but, yeah, the concoctions is uh, it's a, it's a, it's herbal medicine. So it's using the power of different herbs to create an engineer, you know, like all drugs do, they, they upregulate or downregulate certain pathways. Um, and many drugs come from plants, if not all drugs, they come from you know, a specific ingredient within a herb or a plant or a mushroom. And, um, and but rather than have just that concentrated synthetic uh, ingredient, have the whole plant or the whole herb which is a lot healthier. Um, so yeah, we you know we, we we use that as part of the experiencing health. How do you want to experience health? So better mood, better sleep, better energy. Um, then we we have different potions. We call them potions um, that we've had herbalists put together. And we trialed and tested them. Like well, you know, this actually makes people feel like that based off you know, herbal medicine, which has been around for. I don't know. Yeah, long, 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 long very, time. Very, longer than longer than humans, longer than animals, longer than mammals, longer than anything else. And and definitely there's a lot more wisdom in, you know, these these plants than uh than you know us walking around and pretending to be wise. <laughs> we think yeah, that's such a good, you know, it's so it's it's so leveling, isn't it? When when uh this illusion that we're in control, you know, it's when, you know, we're so conditioned by our environment, you know, we, it's remarkable, you know, the way we think, the way we act, the way we behave, the way our physiology responds to our environment. Uh, we're an organism, you know, and um, an organism that houses billions of other organisms. Um, and uh, just like all organisms, we know that we put them in a certain environment they adapt to that environment and we're the same. Like, you know, we've all been there where we're living in, in a rat race in that London life and then we go out to the on holiday and we feel so much better in nature or whatever for a couple of weeks and we think clearer and we start to behave different. And, you know, we, we let things go and we don't get caught up. It's just a small example. That we yeah, I mean, know. when I go back to, you know, when I go back to Iraq, I, I turn into a crazy Iraqi, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the London Huh? Are you in the cities there, like Baghdad? Or... Yeah, yeah. It's and 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 even in Iraq, you know, Baghdad is different from Karbala, different from Najaf, different from Basra. So each one has a different flavor of, you know, Iraqi craziness, but but also Iraqi kindness and generosity and and uh, um, uh, welcoming attitudes, of course. Um, so i mean you know let's let's finish with this uh um dr e you know if if uh somewhat you know the aliens from venus you know walked into your clinic you know what would be the first thing you'd uh you'd do for them or sort of what kind of machine would you put them into or <laughs> what would you do <laughs> i would lit uh, if an if alien came from venus i'd be like how, how did you get here do you have a do you have lift do you have space for one more and can we can i like somehow negotiate a way to come with you would <laughs> and more uh, experience uh, sorry you know like a new experience you want to experience something new i would love to go to space one day i'd love to just that's that's, a, that's another that's another dream of mine inshallah to be able to just get into space experience um experience the universe as we see it on pictures and when we look up to the sky more closer 
Um, yeah, that could be a part of, uh, you know, human, you know, sort of the next, you know, the next sort of uh, chapter in uh, healthcare delivery is, is, you know, zero gravity and <laughs> the awe of the, uh, of the universe and, and looking at the earth and, you know, the magic of space. I think there's something there. Yeah. You, need to, you can help us with that. Let's do it together. <laughs> yeah, let me just call Elon Musk. Oi, mate, sort, sort this guy out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my friend. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the, uh, the conversation. I'm sure we'll do, inshallah, another part two at some point. In fact, we're going to be doing a, a podcast. So human podcast it would, it would be amazing to have you on we haven't started but i think yesterday the team decided that that's something we want to do so, yeah well i mean if you want to have me on you know uh, that's at your uh, uh behest and uh you know whatever comes out of my mouth you know we'll have you know signing liabilities on <laughs> i feel like there's going to be a lot of censorship no i'm joking there won't be no Completely i mean you know most of my I mean, most of my podcasts that, that I've given all have the e-sign on it. So, you know, rest assured. Really? You know, your first, your first one will have a, an e-sign on it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, my friend, you take care of yourself. And you. And you.